0: Pull the blanket and say, good Good morning, morning. the neighborhood on the freeway is bright. Cook your eggs on my angel kitchen, come by later for story time. To find some shade, waking out to the trees it isn't so bad. All the troubles were so hard. man-made. Hey hey, what you doing? Hey hey, what you doing? Hey hey, what you doing? Hey hey, what to doing? Hey, hey, what i So desperate
1: Good morning. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. It is Sunday, August 16th, and we're glad to be with you and in your homes this morning. This morning as we worship together, we will worship together in song, in prayer, by greeting one another in the chat, and by looking closely at Scripture together. As we get started this morning, Pastor Phil is going to share some updates and highlights so that we know what's going on and what's ahead in the life of the church.
2: Thank you, Brian. And what's up with that today? It's good to see everybody. Kinda. I'm seeing a camera, but you're seeing me. And so we'll let that count. Right, Brian? Right. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I'm so excited to tell you our food distribution team, uh, met on Friday and get this. They distributed 16,000 pounds of food which brings our summer total to 99,000 pounds, okay? So the next time we distribute food, we're going to go over that 100,000-pound mark. And so uh, be watching. Uh, It's going to be the last Friday in August, which will be August 28th uh, is the last Friday in August. For those of you who are uh, busy trying to find your calendar, uh, mark that down. If you can volunteer, we'd love to have you come and help distribute food. So anyway, be aware of that and thank God uh, for the opportunity to bless uh, those in need in our community. Well, hey, this past week our Servant Leadership Council met and uh, we discussed regathering plans uh, for the fall and I uh, wanted to share with you uh, what those plans are and uh, our deliberations to date. And so one of the things that we uh, decided to do is to have a target date for regathering for October 4th. Now, what do I mean by target date? The target date is simply this, um, that uh, we're going to obviously continue paying attention to uh, the COVID rate of infection in the DMV here, and uh, if it goes up, then we're going to have to push that date back, and, uh, and then we'll just continue to be flexible. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you won't have an opportunity to gather in this building for worship before then and so as you've been hearing over the last several weeks we're going to have two test runs uh, dates have slipped on those just a little bit so it's gonna be august thirtieth and labor day weekend september six will be two test runs and we're looking for fifteen volunteers uh, to uh, pre-register and let us know that they'll come and we'll have a test run for live uh, in-person excuse me, worship and we're going to want your feedback so we can see what we need to improve. Now then the final three weeks in September, so September 13, 20, and 27, we're going to have uh, preview services so we're going to expand that capacity from 15 uh, to 30 uh, for those weeks and we'll continue to make adjustments as we uh, journey to To our target date of October 4th for regathering for in-person worship and at that point our approximately a uh, maximum attendance is somewhere between 60 and 70 and so just wanted to let you know uh, what our servant leadership council has been working on we're really excited we've been working really hard uh, to prepare our facility uh, for uh, the return of in-person worship now I want to make sure that I make something really clear. And that is this. We completely understand that some of you may not feel comfortable gathering in person for the foreseeable future. I know some of you will not gather for in-person worship until after a vaccine has been developed and administered. We understand this. And I just want you to know from my heart to your heart, we bless this as a congregation and as the leaders of the church we understand this completely this is why all of our fall ministry plans have an online component to them, with the exception of those few ministries that are, uh, for lack of a better term, that have to be like food distribution or open table uh, preparation. There's even some aspects of those ministries that can be done at least uh, by uh, yourself and prep and so forth. So, but just know this. We are here for you if you choose to stay online, if that is how you're most comfortable. uh, We are working hard to expand and enhance our online capabilities uh, so that the ministries of the church continue to move forward regardless of the nature of the pandemic that we're in. And so just know that and be aware of that. Um, So excited for our fall ministry plans. Gonna share those uh, next week. Uh, with you. Uh, Just keep in mind that no matter where you are at home or if you gather in person here uh, you're going to be able to access all of these incredible and exciting plans. Well uh, looking forward to our time of worship this morning. Uh, Super Sarah is going to come in just a moment to share our kids time so kids get ready. Before that though I want uh, to give you an opportunity to greet one another uh, in uh, the chat room off of YouTube. Now greet one another. this broadcast of Old Town Kids for an important message from Super Sarah.
3: Good morning, everybody. It's me, Super Sarah. Hi there. I'm so excited to be with you today, especially because today we are doing an awesome experiment. Are you ready? Now, before we start, I need to make one quick announcement, and it's this. This experiment that we're about to do, it's Awesome! It's so cool, but you must have an adult with you if you want to try it at home. That's right, you need a grown-up if you wanna try this at home, okay? Okay, thank you. Now, let's go ahead and get started. What if I told you that I could light this piece of paper on fire and it would burn, but it wouldn't burn up? Would you believe me? Normally, what happens when we light a piece of paper on fire? Yeah, it burns up into nothing. Now, let's take it a step further. What if I told you that I could get this piece of paper completely soaking wet and light it on fire? Normally, can you light things on fire when they're wet? No. But yeah, I'm gonna get it completely wet and I'm gonna light it on fire and it's going to burn, but it's not going to burn up. Do you think I can do it? Let's try. Okay, so I've already gone ahead and gotten most of this set up. I already have a piece of paper here soaking, so it's very wet. And I'm gonna go ahead and light, oops, broke my match, let's try that again. There we go. Um, matches are hard. I'm gonna light my candle. Okay. And I'm gonna move my matches over here. Are you good, Canda? Okay, and I'm going to grab my piece of paper with these tongs, and I'm going to move this out of the way. Okay, count down with me. Ready? Three, two, one. Whoa! Whoa! Look at that. It's burning, but my paper is still there. And not only is my paper still there, but look, I can hold it. It's not hot. Pretty cool, right? Okay. So that is a really neat experiment and I will send home to parents instructions on how to do this at your own house with a grown-up. But for now, I wanna talk to you about this week's at-home lesson that you can do with your family. Because this week, we are learning about some superheroes of the Bible who are thrown into a fiery furnace. They're thrown into a giant fire, and guess what? They don't burn up. Now, there's a lot more to that story, and that is a superpower that these guys have. I mean, they are in a fire, and they don't burn up. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? But that's not their only superpower. Because to me, the real superpower of these three guys, and their name is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, The real superpower that they have is that they follow God even when it's really hard. They follow God even when it's really, really, really hard. In this story, there's a king and his name is Nebuchadnezzar and he builds this really, really big statue of himself and he tells everybody, you need to worship the statue of me. You must bow down to the statue of me. And guess what? Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego bow down to the statue? They say, no, we cannot bow down to a statue of of the king. We only worship God. Do you think the king liked that very much? No, the king was very unhappy, and that's when he said, throw them into the fiery furnace. And like I said before, they do not burn up. Now, there is more to the story. There is more to this story, and I'm not going to tell it to you here, but I hope that you will do our at-home lesson this week so that you can learn more about this story for yourself. In your at-home lesson, there is a Bible story. There are questions that you can talk about with your family. There's also activities. There are crafts and there are coloring pages, and you can try this experiment on your own at home. There is a lot to do, so I hope that you guys try it out this week and let me know what you think. Okay? That's all from me this week. It is so good to be here with you, and I will see you next time. Bye!
2: Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 45, uh, verses 1 through 15. And we continue the story of uh, Joseph that we started last week. Let me read it for us. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one who sold, you, who sold you into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. "'Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you "'will become destitute. "'You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, "'that it is really I who am speaking to you. "'Tell my father about the honor accorded to me in Egypt "'and about everything you have seen, "'and bring my father down here quickly.' "'Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, "'and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, "'and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. "'Afterwards his brother talked.' with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of all of us today, we hear your word and we desire to apply your word in our lives. God, we thank you for allowing us to know you through your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and most fully, God, through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we come to you with hearts full of desires for friends and family members who need your touch. God, those who need your touch of healing, we pray for healing. God, those who need your touch of peace, maybe in a time of sorrow or suffering or grief, Lord, we pray for your touch of peace. Lord, for those who are asking questions of life, Lord, we pray for discernment and wisdom. Lord, for those who, Lord, need a sense of friendship, we pray, Lord, for your comfort, your friendship through Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you come to us in many different ways. And you come to us through your church at work in the world. And so Lord, keep us ever mindful of our call to be your representatives. Keep us ever mindful of our call to serve and to encourage and to share your truth with grace to this world. Lord, we also pray for our church as we continue to prepare for the work that you have called us to do as we lean into a new season of ministry coming up this fall. God, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would, Lord, help us to capture in a new way your vision for what it means to be your people right here in Alexandria and beyond. God, we also want to lift up those who are on mission for you, Lord, our missionaries who are in other countries, other places of the world. Lord, it's, it's hard to imagine, as much as we have experienced challenges and changes here in our context, what it must be like for missionaries who are out in in different places. And so we pray for grace and strength. We pray for endurance and perseverance. We lift them up to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help them to, Lord, feel the, the support and the presence of your church. Help them to feel the support and presence of your Holy Spirit as they bear witness for you. Lord, for the opportunity to open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. We give you thanks. We humble ourselves before you now, and we ask that you would teach us as we worship you in song. Teach us as we hear from your word. Teach us through your messenger, Pastor Brian, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's worship together in song.
4: Good morning, Old Town. We are living in challenging times, aren't we? One of the best places to go in the scriptures to find out how to deal with times like we're living in is in the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is wrestling with the chaos and confusion of his time. And he crescendos in chapter 3 to this proclamation. Jeremiah says, Yet this I call to mind, and this is why I have hope, because great is the faithfulness of God. His mercies are new every morning. Would you join me today in allowing God's faithfulness to give you hope? (laughs) Response to people realizing just how faithful God has been is to bow down and worship the God who will never stop being that faithful. Every morning, tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and the next, God's mercies will just keep coming through. And it's one of the reasons that we say, Lord, I worship you.
5: Bow down. Here I am to say that you.
1: Every now and then you see a story in the news that stands out in a unique way. And this morning we're focusing on mercy. We're going to see mercy in a deeper way in our passage that Pastor Phil read this morning. But thinking about news stories from the past, there's one that stands out when it comes to mercy. And it happened in 2006. You might remember these headlines. In 2006 there was a tragic shooting at a school in Amish country. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania. A man went into this schoolhouse and took the life of five girls before taking his own life, and he injured several more, and the ages of the victims were six to 13. We have seen way too many stories like this in our nation's recent history, but this one stands out to me because of how the Amish community responded. I haven't been able to get this particular story out of my head. The shooter who carried out the horror that day lived very close to that school. He went to the school that day after dropping his own children at a bus stop. So imagine being his family that day. Not only are you mourning the personal loss that you've experienced, but you also have to be wondering how your neighbors are going to view you and your family going forward. Well, the day of the shooting, members of the Amish community went to their house. And they went to their house to comfort the shooter's widow, his kids, and his parents. One Amish man reportedly held the shooter's weeping father for over an hour while he was sobbing. The Amish community even set up a fund to support the shooter's family because they knew that the shooter was the sole financial provider. For those that remained, their response was one that was breathtaking and it was one of instant mercy. In our passage this morning in Genesis 45, we have a model for mercy in Joseph. Joseph's brothers learned that this brother that they've long thought was dead is very much alive. And in fact, God has been using this brother to sustain them through a famine. To briefly recap where we left off last week, Joseph's brothers turned on him in Genesis 34. They stabbed him in the back. They debated killing him, but one brother, Reuben, convinced them to instead throw Joseph in a cistern. And ultimately, they decided to sell Joseph off to merchants traveling south headed to Egypt. So off Joseph went, disappearing from the life he knew into a life that was totally foreign to him where he would be a prisoner and a slave in a new land. In last week's sermon, Pastor Phil mentioned Joseph's amazing jacket, what many of us are familiar with as his Technicolor dream coat. This coat, it had been symbolic of Joseph's favor. It was much more than a jacket. It really meant something. Joseph was the favorite son out of all of them. As Joseph's brothers sold him, and shipped him off into slavery. They took that coat, that notorious coat that set him apart from them, and they dipped it in goat's blood and went and took it back to their father. The significance? They convinced their father that Joseph was dead, devoured by a ferocious animal. So fast forward now to Genesis 45, the passage we just heard this morning. We see Joseph come face to face with his brothers. They're in Egypt, and Joseph has built a new life, and he really does have the upper hand in this encounter. He is a powerful man in Egypt. He has successfully saved the Egyptian people from starvation, as well as people from other lands who are coming to buy the surplus of grain that the Egyptians have. They have this grain because Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and realized what was coming. Now, understandably, in verse 3, we see that the brothers are scared. The brothers were terrified at Joseph's presence. It's clear to the brothers that they were in the wrong all those years ago when they sent Joseph away and told their father that he was really dead. We can't blame them, right, in the presence of the brother that they backstabbed for thinking that payback is coming. But it doesn't. Not here, not in this story. Joseph takes the high road, telling them in verses 5 and 6 and 7 that they shouldn't be distressed or angry, and that God has and will continue to use Joseph for good. Joseph highlights how God has led him to a position of authority in Egypt, one that enables God's people to have food and be sustained going forward through this famine. Now, there is a lot that Joseph does not say in this exchange. There's no, hey, do you guys remember that time you threw me in a cistern? There's no, you all sold me for 20 shekels? Seriously? Joseph doesn't say any of that. And in this, in this snapshot from Genesis 45, in Joseph, we see a model for mercy. He doesn't recount past transgressions. Instead, we see him weep. He weeps so loudly. Our text says that even the Egyptians who've left the room and all of Pharaoh's household, they all heard his weeping. He was so overcome with emotion at this reunion. Instead of rebuking his brothers, he rushes to comfort them. Do not be distressed, he tells them, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. His words and his actions They are seeping with mercy in this encounter. And if you look closely, you'll notice that the words, I forgive you, are not there. But don't be misled. While we don't see those exact words articulated, we absolutely see forgiveness and mercy embodied in Joseph's actions and in his words of comfort to his brothers. Instead, they can live in grace. They are free to move forward. This goes against human nature, doesn't it? It's human nature for us to want to seek revenge or retribution or to simply simmer in anger. Think about a time where you have been so angry over what someone did to wrong you. How did you respond and was your instinct to be merciful? You know, the angriest that I've ever been over someone wronging me was, it happened a few summers ago, it was in summer of 2016. After our wedding, Sarah and I went to Europe for several weeks and we rode a lot of trains and we visited a lot of neat places, but one train ride was awful. We were going from Nice to Geneva and about halfway along the journey, I got up to stretch my legs and walk. And I walked to where the train cars meet, where the luggage storage is. And I noticed very abruptly that my backpack, with all my stuff in it, was gone. There was a gap, and it was missing. Fortunately, Sarah's was right next to it. But mine was gone. It was nowhere to be seen, and I was shook. I felt this strange combination of being deflated, but also being filled with rage and thinking to myself, why would someone do this to me it actually took me days to settle down from that and honestly years to get to the point where i could tell the story without having hate in my heart for the person who took my luggage we were about 2 weeks into a 7 week journey and i was left with the clothes on my back and what was in my pockets and we had left Nice, we were going to Geneva, and we stayed with some of Sarah's coworkers, who heard about my situation and offered me up a couple of outfits and a backpack for the rest of our trip. And they carried me all the way until I got home. And now we laugh when we look at the pictures because I am suspiciously wearing the same couple outfits in a lot of our pictures post-Nice. I look like a Poor man's version of Where's Waldo, wearing the same pants and the same sweater all across the cities that we visited. Now, a few years later, it's a good story, but in the moment, it was not good. And mercy was far from the forefront of my mind. It's because mercy is tough. Mercy requires a conscious deconstruction of what we want to do. What we feel like we're rightfully owed when we're wronged. Mercy is simply choosing to give grace rather than looking to settle the score. Mercy is sacred and mercy is heavy and it's difficult, but we are called by God to be people of mercy. And one way that we work as God's people in the world is by offering mercy where the world expects eye for an eye or where the world expects revenge or retribution. Now, this doesn't mean that we, as followers of Christ, don't pursue justice in the world. This is a call from God for us as well. But we can at once be advocates of justice and be merciful. I'll say that one more time. We can at once be advocates of justice and be merciful. Jesus has called us to do both. So what does it look like to be radically Merciful in our lives. Think about those situations you might have thought earlier when you were wronged by someone, or even little wrongs that you experience in the workplace or in your family. What vindicates you in those situations? Is it settling the score? Is it getting revenge? Or is it knowing that God's power and God's love are greater than what's been done to you? When someone hurts you, is your instinct to first cast blame? There's definitely a temptation to do so. Or do you pause? Do you pause and look more closely at how God might be working within you in that moment? In our passage in Genesis, Joseph's brothers absolutely wronged him. But when Joseph is able to look back, he sees God working throughout his life, both for the sake of Joseph and for the sake of God's people. When we choose mercy, we are asking God to keep refining our hearts. We ask God to do the hard work in us, even if the person who's wronged us doesn't do that same hard work. Of course we want to be people of mercy. This isn't news. We know this. We know our God is a merciful God. We know that Jesus' life showed us what mercy was. But being merciful is a challenge. Being merciful is something that we have to intentionally do. And sometimes it takes a while to get to the point where we can be merciful. I told you it it took me years to get to the point where I could tell the story of my stolen backpack and not resent the person who stole it. And in our passage, Joseph Joseph went through a lot before this exchange that we see in Genesis 45. Genesis 45, yes, it presents a model for mercy. But if we read chapter 45 in isolation, it's a little misleading. So let's dig deeper on Joseph to see how he gets to the point of modeling mercy in the passage that we've seen this morning. Because in reality, this isn't only a story of mercy. You know, maybe more accurately, this story isn't just Genesis 45. Because where we pick up in our passage this morning in Genesis 45, this is not Joseph's first encounter with his brothers. In fact, it's the third time that he encounters them in Egypt. Over the course of those previous two encounters, there are some dishonest, manipulative And even intentionally painful things that Joseph has done to his brothers. There's a real laundry list of them. He's accused his brothers of being spies. And now, mind you, in all of this, Joseph has not let his brothers know who he is. So he knows they're his brothers. They don't know he's Joseph. And in these encounters, he accuses them of being spies. He puts them in jail. And Joseph is slick. He uses a translator when he's speaking to them. Now, Joseph is able to speak Hebrew the language he grew up communicating in. He's also fluent in Egyptian, the language of the land where he lives now. But he uses a translator when he interacts with his brothers so they don't realize he knows what they're saying. Joseph is shifty in his manipulation here. When he does finally send his brothers home the first time, he forces one to stay behind, imprisoned as collateral, so that he can force his brothers to return with a different brother, Benjamin, that he wants to see. Joseph also puts money in their bags to frame them for stealing. And the second time they come back with Benjamin, again Joseph doesn't tell them who he is, and he sneaks a silver cup into Benjamin's sack of grain, and again accuses them of being thieves. In each of these encounters, Joseph is clearly manipulating his brothers. He doesn't tell them who he is. He invents false pretenses for imprisoning them. And he demands things of them that he knows will put them in places of discomfort. Genesis 45, Joseph is merciful. Yes, absolutely. But Genesis 42, 43, and 44, Joseph is something else. Yes, he's in pain. Yes, he's been wronged. And what we see in Genesis 42, 43, and 44 isn't mercy yet. It's Joseph manipulating the situation of encountering his brothers. And yet, something is happening along the way for Joseph. He is moved to tears as he faces his brothers before he makes it clear to him. Both times, in the first encounter, he has to leave the room to weep. When they come back the second time with the brother he's requested, Benjamin, he has to hurry away at a moment's notice because he's overcome with emotion and he needs to weep again. Joseph is very evidently having trouble controlling himself and keeping his emotions in check. And they overwhelm, overwhelm him so much that he needs to just back away and gather himself. But in our passage in Genesis 25, in, the, in Genesis 45, in the first verse, we see that he loses control. Genesis 45:1 starts with, "Joseph could no longer control himself." This is when he has everyone else leave the room except his brother and brothers, and he finally lets out what's inside of them. He's weeping so loudly that we hear that people outside the room and people in the rest of the household hear him crying. This Joseph that we encounter in Genesis 45 went through some stuff, to say the least. He's had to grapple with his past wounds. He's wrestled with revenge. And he's missed the life that was taken from him and the life that he expected to have. But throughout all of these struggles, God was very present. God was with Joseph when he was in the cistern. God was with Joseph when he was a servant in a household in a faraway land. And God was with Joseph when he spent time in prison. And God was with Joseph when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and was able to help save not only God's people, but the people of Egypt and the people of other neighboring lands. And God was with Joseph when he battled with his combination of heartbreak In rage over what his brothers did to him. His reckoning that we see play out in these exchanges in Genesis, it's not something out of a fairy tale. It is messy and it's real. This, what we see in these passages, is murky mercy. Joseph is toying with retribution, manipulation, and punishment for his brothers, but ultimately, God works in him, and God leads him to show mercy. Read only Genesis 45, and we miss out on the great complexity of mercy. That is, mercy is hard. Mercy is so hard, and it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the midst of our greatest pains, in our deepest despairs, and when our greatest expectations are turned on their heads. The mercy that we see in our passage in Genesis 45 is murky because of the wrongs that Joseph experienced. They were real. Our merciful God calls us to be merciful people. We see a few different snapshots of Joseph in Genesis. We see merciful Joseph in Genesis 45 and we see a little more manipulative Joseph in Genesis 42, 43, and 44. So if you don't feel like Joseph in Genesis 45 quite yet, and maybe you feel like Joseph prior to this merciful exchange, take heart because there is hope. Ask God to help you. Ask God to work in you and to teach you to walk in mercy. To adopt a posture of mercy you need to invite God into the struggles that you face when it comes to being merciful. We can't be sacrificially merciful on our own. We need God to help us. So think about situations where you struggle to feel mercy. You might find yourself having little sympathy for a friend who's confiding in you. But if you find yourself in that situation, invite God in to stretch you to be merciful. You might notice that you frankly feel indifferent about something that you know matters. When you find yourselves in that situation, invite God in to work in your thought process to stretch you and to break your heart for what breaks God's heart and to have mercy. When you are hurt, And when you want to get even, look to God for guidance in how he can use you and work in you, even in your pain. Take comfort in this story that Joseph found himself in pain. Joseph found himself in a situation that was scary with the unknown facing him ahead in the future. But the same God who transforms Joseph can transform each of us, no matter if we have miles to go to be merciful or whether we're actually really close to doing so. We have great examples in Scripture of imperfect people showing mercy, and we can learn from them. We can learn from Joseph and the way that he went through those murky waters and ultimately was merciful on his brothers rather than seeking vengeance on them. But we are not doing the subject of mercy in Scripture full justice unless we look to the ultimate example of mercy, Jesus. There are several noteworthy links, too, between Joseph and the story we're looking at now and Jesus. You know, like Joseph, God sends another adored son, Jesus, who leaves his home and leaves his parents and goes out into the harsh world. We know that Joseph was sold for 20 shekels. Jesus betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We see in Genesis, Joseph was punished by his brothers for being the chosen son. And Jesus, while sinless and perfect and chosen himself, was punished by being sentenced to die on the cross. Even at the point of ultimate human weakness on the cross, shortly before Jesus breathes his last breath, he has mercy, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he had mercy on the people who are simply doing their jobs and carrying out the execution. From the cross to the way that he cared for and healed people to his compassion, for the spiritually sick in need of a savior, Jesus was mercy embodied. And there's nothing murky about the mercy that we see Jesus demonstrate for us. Our postures of mercy, they are likely to look a lot more like that of Joseph than that of Jesus. That's because the reality is our postures of mercy are flawed. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean that we can lower our standards and lower the expectation we have for ourselves and for each other. We see Jesus call us specifically to be merciful in Luke 6:36 where he says, "Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." To be obedient to that call, we must step into the murky waters of mercy and draw near to this challenging work of asking God to refine us and to teach us to choose mercy. So wherever you are this morning, place yourself somewhere along the spectrum of encouraged or discouraged or on top of the world or in the bottom of a cistern. Wherever you are on that spectrum, know that God receives you where you are and cares for you and forgives you and wants to forge you into an instrument of mercy for his sake in the world. Like Joseph, we're called to wade into those murky, muddy waters to do the hard work of being merciful people. And it is hard work, but our first step in that journey must be towards Jesus, our true model of mercy. So we're called to turn to Jesus and to repent for times when we've chosen revenge over mercy. In the week ahead, let's ask Jesus to guide us through the murky waters as we work towards choosing mercy at all costs. Both in our own lives and together, OTCC, let's be merciful people. After all, it's what Jesus commanded us to do. Amen? Amen.
2: Thank you, uh, Pastor Brian, for that message on the mercy of God. Well, uh, I'm glad that you joined us for worship this morning and hope you'll join us again uh, next week. Let's bow our heads for our benediction. Now may the God of grace and mercy, may this God who loves you incredibly work through you, channel his mercy through you as you are merciful to others. Amen and amen. Go in peace.